What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun? Or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat? Or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load. Or does it explode? Does anyone know who, who wrote that? Langston Hughes wrote this poem entitled Harlem, referring to the civil rights struggle for blacks in America. I think perhaps Hughes could have written the same words even yesterday. Scripture tells us in Proverbs 13, 12, Speaking of a dream deferred, it says a dream deferred makes the heart sick. How can we explain this common human experience? We ask God, why? Why am I going through this? A friend of mine recently had someone else steal his debit card information and use it to take out a large sum of money from his account before the bank caught it. I know of three people in our community who have been in car accidents in the last few weeks. All of them are okay, Baruch Hashem. In my capacity as student rabbi, I've talked with many people who are in physical pain recently, waiting, waiting for God to heal them and bring restoration. And some of us are hurting on the inside, still wounded from trauma in our past that hasn't quite healed yet. Maybe you are feeling stuck, stuck in a rut, waiting on the sidelines for your vision and dreams to manifest. Maybe you are single, waiting patiently for your spouse, and there just seems to be no traction. Maybe God has given you an idea, a vision, but the reality of it seems as far away now as when you originally thought of it. We struggle. Amen? We struggle with our families. We struggle with our coworkers. We struggle with our hopes. We struggle with our sins. We struggle with ourselves. We struggle with God. That is, after all, what Israel means, right? We wrestle. We wrestle with God. Perhaps the narrative of Scripture and the narrative of the testimony of our brothers and sisters can shed some light on this struggle. Not so that it is syrupy sweet, like the ending of a half-hour sitcom, but so that we see it with renewed eyes. A dream deferred makes the heart sick. But how many of you know there's a second part of this verse in Proverbs 13, 12? The second part says, a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Eitzchaim, a tree of life. 
When I first met Sonia, the woman who was to become my wife, I was around 29, 30 years old. And by this point, I was convinced, I was convinced it was not going to happen. I would never meet my wife. I mean, finding someone that I was attracted to, who was also attracted to me, right? Who loved God, who had a parallel calling on her life, who would be willing to marry this guy, uh, going into the Messianic Jewish ministry. This seemed like an impossible task. Sonia and I were friends for about a year when I decided that that would be the best time to ask her out on a date. It was not. It was not the best time. Uh, Not only did she turn me down, but she valued our friendship so much. You know what she said? David, just don't ever ask me again. So we continued our friendship. And uh, I respected what she said up, up until the point when we both realized that God was drawing us together to be something more than friends. But that's another story, another sermon. The point I'm making today is that by the time I met Sonia, I think my heart was sick. It was sick from deferring that dream, postponing that dream so long. From basically puberty to the age of 30, I was stuck. And only God, only God can cure a sick heart. And only God can bring fulfillment at the right time in his time. Let us think of Moses. Remember Moses, right? Wrote the Torah down. He met with God face to face. Panim el Panim, he led the Israelites for a number of years, right? Well, all Moses wanted, the one thing he wanted most was what? What did he want more than anything? The promised land. He just wanted to get in there. He wanted to enter the promised land with the rest of the people. Listen. Listen to how he pleads with Hashem in Deuteronomy 3, verses 23 through 25. And this is the beginning of a Torah portion, which the name of it is, I pleaded. And here it is. Then I pleaded with Adonai, Adonai Elohim. You have begun to reveal your greatness to your servant and your strong hand. For what other God is there in heaven or on earth that can do the works and mighty deeds that you do. Please, please, God, let me go across and see the good land on the other side of the Jordan, the Yarden, that wonderful hill country and the Lebanon. But to no avail, right? A dream deferred makes the heart sick. When Moses hit that rock, Moses hit rock bottom. Moses had hit the rock. He'd hit the rock instead of speaking to it. And he would never be able to enter the land of Israel. Well, basically never. However, I I was talking to uh, some Orthodox Jews once. 
non, non-Messianic Jews. And I asked them, I said, do you think Moses, do you think he ever actually got into the promised land? And they said, you know, when the Messiah comes, Moses will get to the land of Israel. Okay. Matthew 17, verses 1 through 3. After six days, Yeshua took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then appeared before him Moses and Elijah, talking with Yeshua. So where does this take place? Eretz Israel in the land of Israel. And who's there? Moshe, he's there. Who else is there? Yeshua. Yeshua is there. Man, if those Orthodox Jews only knew, perhaps we need to tell them. Perhaps we need to tell them there's one who appeared who fulfilled this dream of Moses. Maybe that would be compelling. Notice that with the coming of the Messiah, this dream is fulfilled, albeit few thousand years after the pleading we read about. But hey, God's perfect timing is beyond us. The key ingredient here is faith, which the word for faith can be translated from the Greek text as trust or even perhaps allegiance. Faith, trust, allegiance to God's promises. When the opposite is apparently happening. This is what strengthens our relationship with God. This stretches us to lean not on our own understanding, but to lean on the love of the Father. Hebrews 11 verses 1 through 2 says this. Now faith, we could say trusting or allegiance. Trusting is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. The ancients, our our patriarchs and matriarchs. And then it goes on to talk about these, these giants of the faith, giants of trusting, right? It goes on to describe them. It describes that they persevered by trusting. It describes Noah and Abraham and Sarah. And then the scripture says in Hebrews 11, 13, all these people, In the hall of fame, they were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. There's a tension here. None of these mighty trusters ever saw the result of their trust. They all died without the dream fulfilled. And yet, and yet, the dream was fulfilled beyond their lifetimes. The promise that Israel would enter the land, that was originally given to Abraham. But this was not fulfilled even in part, even partially until Joshua, after Moses. And then we were exiled. We left. Another dream deferred, right? And then the diaspora. We were scattered, scattered all over the world. 
And then, in 1948, fulfilled completely again, when Israel became a nation. Now, I don't know about you, but from where I'm sitting, it looks like there's quite a few years between Abraham and 1948. But God is still faithful to his promises. Now, is there anybody you know who's always on time? Think of the most punctual person that you know. You know, does anyone have it in their mind? Yes? <laughs> You're pointing at yourself? <laughs> Whew. <clears throat> That's another sermon, too. All right, so uh, where was I? So you know if this person is late, there's something wrong, right? Because they're never late. You know, I, I personally, I would not be in this category. You know, if I'm five or ten minutes late, please, please do not panic and call the police. It's, it's normal. You know, it kind of reminds me of the story. I, uh, so I went to Shabbat dinner with a friend who shall remain nameless recently. And uh, the, the date and the time, the time, of course, the date was Friday night. The time was 6.30 when we were supposed to be there. And uh, for Sonia and myself, I thought we were doing pretty good. We were set to arrive at 6.33. You know, on our time, we're doing good, right? And uh, at 6.30 on the nose, I get a text. Did you guys forget? <clears throat> anyway, uh, kind of got sidetracked there. But, uh, you know, I, I think of God, I think of God as punctual. It's almost as if God is covenantally obligated to fulfill his promises on time, but, but not because he owes us. It's his loving, faithful nature, like a perfectly punctual person, right? Perhaps a perfectly punctual person reminds us of a covenantal loving God. And of course, God's timing is not our timing. And his ways are not our ways, as we've seen. We've seen that in the promise to Abraham, that his descendants would possess the land, but not until 1948. And Moses is longing for the land, but not until the coming of the Messiah. Tell somebody, on time doesn't mean on our time. Tell somebody next to you. <laughs> so... So what about the meantime? What about the time between the dream postponed and the dream fulfilled? Most of life is perhaps in that category. So how should we respond? Should we be mad? Should we be mad at ourselves for being stuck? You know, I, I should be further along than I am. Should we be upset with others who don't support our vision, who don't, don't quite get it? Should we be mad at God for taking so long? Richard Blackaby writes about a particular struggle he and his family had in the book Experiencing God. So let's take a look at how he came to understand uh, something difficult that he went through with his family. Now, I, I've changed some of the words to fit within the language of Messianic Judaism, uh, as you can understand, uh, Yeshua and things like that. But the message, this is a, a direct quote. 
other than that. Quote, when our only daughter, Carrie, was 16, the doctors told us she had an advanced case of cancer. We had to take her through chemotherapy and radiation. We suffered along with Carrie as we watched her experience the severe sickness that accompanies the treatments. Some people face such an experience by blaming God and questioning why he doesn't love them anymore. Carrie's cancer treatments could have been a devastating experience for us. Did God still love us? Yes. Had his love changed? No. He still cared for us with an infinite love. When you face circumstances like this, you can ask God to explain what is happening, and we did that. We asked him what we should do. I raised all of those questions, but I never said, Lord, I guess you don't love me. Long before this experience with Carrie, I had made a determination. No matter what my circumstances, I would never look at my situation except against the backdrop of the execution stake, the cross of Yeshua. In the death and resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah, God forever convinced me that he loved me. For this reason, during Carrie's illness, I could go before the Heavenly Father and see behind my daughter the tree, the cross of Yeshua. I said, Father, don't ever let me look at my life and question your love for me. Your love for me was settled on the tree. That has never changed and never will change. Our love relationship with the Heavenly Father sustained us through an extremely difficult time. Unquote. The thing is, we need to see our experiences in the backdrop of the biblical narrative. In the backdrop of God's covenantal love for us. And one of the most important examples of that covenantal love is found in the death of Yeshua and in his resurrection. For God so loved us that he gave us his son so that whoever would trust in him would have eternal life. Eitz Chaim. When we have difficult or even traumatic experiences, only the suffering servant king can help us begin to make sense of it. I know that if it were my daughter who was suffering like that, I would have nothing to stand on except to lean on God's love and to look to Yeshua for comfort. A dream deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a what? Tree of life. The tree of life. Eitz Chaim. In scripture, this is the original tree in the garden, isn't it? The garden of Eden, paradise, that we were kicked out of, never to return again, or so we thought. We were separated from that tree, and we were separated from God because of the problem, the problem of our rebellion, which separated us from his presence. But the narrative of scripture is all about how God brings us back somehow to the tree of life. And all of our struggles and all of our dreams postponed, all of our suffering because of that separation from the tree of life 
and from God. And yet, God has continually made a way in Scripture and in real life back to the tree of life. And the fullness of that way is revealed through another tree, the tree on which Yeshua died. And I want to encourage all of us to look at our dreams postponed and our suffering through the lens of God's covenantal love, through the lens of the tree of Yeshua, the cross, a love that gives and suffers for us, suffers instead of us, so that we can once again eat from the tree of life. Amen? Okay, well, let's pray.